Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I am the authority on what is possible. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and if you're going to pretend like you don't care, don't look up. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of fantasy documents and CRISPR. Today we'll be talking about Gattaca. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about lots of stuff, things. Strange new worlds, either. Strange new worlds. Also, I'm finally going to read Station Eleven. Yeah. We also have Hot Sci-Fi Summer coming. That's in Mm -hmm. July. We are intending to make that kind of 80s themed. So Highlander is definitely going to be on there. I want to do Big Trouble in Little China, I think. That would also be fun. All right. How is that in our Ballywick? Big Trouble in Little China? There's like, you know, it's like there's definitely a supernatural element of that. If memory serves. Okay. All right. I'll just, I guess this should, goes to, I have never seen it. So yes, we should do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, trust me. Uh, and then yeah. of course, like I'm insisting we do Thor because the well, ad no. is, well, the ad is actually pointed out it's nineties, but it feels very eighties. The whole thing yes. feels very eighties. So I'm just. I want to be clear. I didn't resist at all to the suggestion of <laughs> Thor. Like I was like, okay, sure. Fine. I mean, it's yeah. a good excuse to go to a movie and also yeah. watch Chris Hemsworth. So yay. Mm-hmm. If you have not yet considered becoming a patron of our show, would you please consider it? You mm-hmm. get all sorts of fancy benefits, including you get to hear the show on Friday rather than on Monday. Dan, how can they become a patron? Well, there's this thing called the World Wide Web. And if you go onto the World Wide Web, <laughs> you go to HTTP slash slash www.patreon.com slash spacination. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. You this almost, is a 90s movie. You almost couldn't do it. Like it's such, I, it's been such a long time. <laughs> I was like, this is so fitting. Given we're doing Gattaca, which is a 90s film, like we should present the website as if it's the 90s. You know, but go there and you know become a patron. And as Anna said, there's lots of benefits, including early access to podcasts, access to our monthly AMAs, access to our Discord channel. There's some swag. And if we hit 250 patrons, we will do a patrons-only episode on a topic chosen by you, the patrons. I was thinking also we we could let them choose something that's not specifically science fiction if they want. I think that'd be kind Ooh. of fun. Okay. I kind of like that because it's, it's a special extra episode. So I, I do kind of like that idea. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Okay. That might be good. Dan, yeah. how are you? <laughs> I am good. You know, teaching is done after... You know, my, my dog is sweet, and it is finally spring here, as in it's not like 50, so it's it's lovely. Also, I'm going to brag a little bit. My son is graduating from college next oh, week. You have spawned a college graduate. I have spawned a college graduate, so I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that, actually. That's very cool. Yeah. How are you? You know, I'm good. I think I used to make fun of the idea of talking about the weather as, like, <laughs> when one asks how someone else is doing, but I've come yeah. to believe, like, no, like... The weather is kind of interesting. Like, it is interesting to know what's going on in other places. Mm -hmm. And also, sometimes you get to feel superior. Sometimes you get to feel envy. Yeah. For instance, it is 95 degrees here. (laughs) Right. So we've... I think we've We've crossed the inflection point. (laughs) No, no, no. So like, you know, during the winter months, I believe it is I who am jealous of Anna for living in Austin. And then at some point, and I can never entirely, you know, precisely date it, there is a moment at which suddenly... It is the Boston weather that is superior. Yeah. And I think we've reached that point. Yeah. It is going to be Exley's first summer here, too. So Oh, that'll be nice. My long-haired black dog <laughs> is going to get to figure out. He's going to learn to love early morning walks. That's what's yes. going to happen. 
So That makes sense, yeah. We're going to talk about Gattaca today. Why are we talking about Gattaca, Dan? Anna, maybe it is our Gen X nature, but I think I've come to realize that, like, regardless of what else we do, our comfort zone, our wheelhouse of sci-fi films are the 90s. And a 1990s sci-fi film that features pretty, 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 very pretty people. <laughs> and, and how pretty are these people? Ethan Hawke is supposed to be the imperfect one in this film. All right? Like, the genetically inferior <laughs> person they is Ethan fucking Hawke in the 1990s. <laughs> he wears glasses. Oh, yeah. Like, and that's, well, that, that says it all. But it seems like a great way to start the month of May. So... I remember seeing Gattaca, you know, in the theater, and I remember really loving it. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen it since. I did remember that it seems to fall in the mini genre that I think you and I both love, although I am a little bit more of an aficionado, which is the sci-fi gumshoe, mm-hmm. right? The, the sci-fi noir. Yeah. And I remembered that, so I was excited to see it again. But as we will discuss... The gumshoe mystery part is not great. <laughs> no, it's it's awful. There's no way to put it. Like the, it's it's the worst mystery behind a noir I've ever seen. Also, yes. there's an exchange of dialogue in the first ten minutes that brought the whole plot and its various twists crashing down on me. I remembered everything. Do you uh, want to know what that exchange of dialogue was? I do, in fact. I'm... Have I ever told you about my son? Yes. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the whole, I was like, I remembered the whole thing. And that was and it, the movie. I'm not giving anything away, by yeah. the way. Like, I don't think for people who mm-hmm. haven't seen it, although it's worth seeing if you want to enjoy our conversation without having seen it, I think that's possible. But yeah. it is worth seeing. And mm-hmm. I don't think that particular exchange of dialogue gives away the plot. It's just that right. it. Yeah. It, I, well, I, actually, it's Chekhov's son, if you think about it. It is. There's a lot of Chekhov's paraphernalia. Yeah. <laughs> Chekhov's paraphernalia is littered throughout this film. It's not subtle that way. Yeah. Yeah. What would be your nomination for, you know, if, we had to, if you had to pick one? I have to say my nomination is The Incinerator in The Apartment, which I'm not going to lie, creeped me the fuck out, especially given how it is used at the end of the film. Yeah. And yeah, I was, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, it's creepy. But Dan, you know what I have to say is yeah. Chekhov's penis. <laughs> and if you haven't seen the film, and maybe if you've seen the film. I think you need to be a little more specific because to be fair. <laughs> well, there fair, aren't a lot of penises in the movie. I mean, they are there, but they're not visible. But there's only right. one that's discussed. Is it really like the penis that's it's, discussed? It's actually though, you could also it, you should also is call it how it, the penis is used? Is it's I how think the penis the, is used. Yes, you could also call it Chekhov's urinalysis. I think that's a little more accurate. Right, but you know we don't have to like just you know go to the lowest common denominator. <laughs> on it. This is this is a respectable okay. podcast. As sure it is. Sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dan cannot keep yes. a straight face. <laughs> no, no, no. No, but as I, let me put it this way, I will say, like, I, that point in the film is correct. I will get to this later. <laughs> I just, just, in case you were wondering, Anna, like, you know. It oh, is I, I, good to have some fact checks going on. Yeah, no, that was it. Yeah, right. exactly. Okay, let's get to the story behind the story. So, Anna, can you tell us about Andrew Nicole, or Nicole, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. I think but it's more, Nicole. Okay, Andrew Nicole and his love of beautiful, austere, sexless people. <laughs> 
yeah, sexless, I guess. I yeah. don't know. Jude Law is pretty smoldering. Jude Law is, but note that he does not get it on at any no, point. No, but in he this seems film. like he could at any moment. Oh, like, yeah, no, he's, that's true. <laughs> there was more sexual tension between him and Ethan Hawke <laughs> than there was yes. between Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. And I, I want to believe that they're playing with that a little bit, actually. Like, not entirely unintentional. But Jula is just smoking hot the entire movie. Everyone just, in this film well, is smoking hot, but, but Jude Law in particular. No, yeah. they're not smoking. Yeah, that's like, fair. That's fair. Yes, hot, no, that's true. Yes. Not like radiating something. Heat. No, that's yeah. true. That is true. Jude Law and weirdly Alan Arkin. But like, we'll we'll get to this. Yeah, I, well, I wouldn't say sex appeal for Alan Arkin, but yeah, he does yeah, have yeah. Char- charisma. Right. Yes. Just, just on the topic of Jude Law, I might as well say he, this was his first American movie. This was a, oh. a U.S. introduction of Jude Law. And Ethan Hawke was still in his 20s at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he yeah. was sort of a, you know, youth star, but still pretty young. Yeah. Uh, and I mention this only because it was made for $36 million, which is, it's, it's a, you know, some. Yeah. But it still looks amazing. Yes, right? that is true. Nichols spent his money really carefully, and a lot of it went on production. Like, he went to sort of art house films and got, like, uh, sort of first-time composers, art directors, Mm. or not first-time, first big movie. Right. Um, So, it it did not earn back the $36 however. Really? I'm actually surprised to hear that. No, it was only... I didn't realize it was that much of a bust. Yeah, $12 box office. Ooh. I remember it being more successful as well. Yeah, I don't... (laughs) It's funny. Like, maybe it's because this... I mean, this is one of those movies that lived on... In perpetuity on TNT and, and on basic cable is for years. timeless. Like, yeah, I mean, if I knew well, it was from of, the yeah. 90s, well, yeah, yes yeah. and no, but yeah. it looks amazing. Yeah, like it just it holds up visually in a way right. that not a lot of science fiction movies do, mm-hmm. and, and in that way, it's not dated at all. That's correct. Yeah, like That's it just correct. looks amazing. Mm-hmm. So Nickel has an interesting pattern. Mm-hmm. in his movies um i won't mention all of them right now but the ones that sort of see if you can see the connection uh, he wrote the truman show mm-hmm. simone uh, which was her before her starring al pacino you may remember vaguely it's about a virtual actress that, oh that's right yeah, yeah yeah and also the movie in time Mm-hmm. which uh, Justin Timberlake's, I think, first starring role. And I and, saw that in the theater. <laughs> and Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, that is That's another right. film with just beautiful people. Constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Good Kill, which is Ethan Hawke as a drone operator, and Anon, starring friend of the pod, Clive Owen, which is another sci-fi detective story. And Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, because I've seen that. And I was about to say what these things kind of have in common. Please do. Well, he's interested in, like... See... People say he's anti-capitalist, but I'll say more about this later. He's definitely interested in hierarchy. He's definitely interested in surveillance. Yep. And doesn't like those things. Correct. <laughs> but whether or not he's critical of capitalism, we shall we shall discuss. Maybe not at length, but we'll discuss it. He is currently working on a film about the Christchurch shooting. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Because that is very different from... What I would think of is this is oeuvre. So, yeah. yeah, although he also did the movie Lord of War, which is about an arms dealer. I think uh, if, if I may be so bold, he seems like sort of a cut and paste Hollywood liberal, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like not yeah. to be cruel, but like his politics seem unsurprising. Fair to enough. Me. 
Okay. Right? Yeah. Just a few more things. It was filmed at Frank Lloyd Wright's Marin Civic Center, Marin County uh, Civic Center. Huh. Which I did wonder as I was watching it, because it is, I mean, they have to have had a real, you know, location oh, yeah, for yeah, all those yeah. shots. Also, the Otis College of Art and Design in Cal Poly. I vaguely remembered this, that Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman started dating mm-hmm. during this movie and later married and then divorced. Mm. Ethan Hawke still considers it one of his best films. Hmm. And in the IP is a flat circle category. <laughs> oh, uh, no, they're not remaking it. Please tell me they're not remaking it. <laughs> well, 10 years ago, Sony was developing a television adaptation. Ah, okay. Fair enough. I think it could actually be, you couldn't, you would just have to set it in this world. It couldn't actually be an adaptation, right? Like, it, it, you would have to take up the police side of it, I think. It'd be a yeah, procedure. Yeah, or it'd have to be like Gattaca. Yeah, Ga- it would be CSI Gattaca or something. Yeah. That would, oh, that actually, would yeah, it was to be written by a guy that has written for 24 and NCIS. So. Oh, there you go. Okay, yes, we're actually. <laughs> we are right on the money. I would yep. watch it. I would watch it. I would. Fair enough. Speaking of what we would watch, mm-hmm. Dan, let's talk about the plot. All right, let us move on to the plot. Let's start with Act One. The future is white. I mean bright. Welcome to the not-too-distant future, in which parents can risk conceiving children the old-fashioned way or use genetic engineering to ensure their offspring have all their best qualities, like intelligence, stamina, and perfect cheekbones. This matters in a society that ostensibly does not discriminate based on genetics, but in practice totally does, relegating, (laughs) quote, invalids, unquote, to menial jobs. Meet Vincent, a faith birth who possesses a number of genetic health risks, including a heart condition that will likely lead to an early death. His parents opt for the genetic engineering route with his younger brother, Anton. Growing up, the two brothers play a game called Chicken, in which they swim out into the ocean as far as possible until one of them needs to go back. Vincent always loses until the last time they play this game, as older teenagers, when Anton collapses from exhaustion and Vincent rescues him. He runs away from home soon afterwards. On a, this first part, like the first half hour of this film has a tremendous amount of voiceover by Ethan Hawke. It then pretty much disappears until the last few minutes of the film. But like, did that work for you? Yeah. I, yeah. Why? Like it, it, it is yeah. almost completely superfluous, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that might be kind of a relic of a time when I think Hollywood didn't trust in a weird way, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I do think that certain directors in a certain genre of film have come to trust audiences more, hmm. like with figuring out shit. Like, you know, Steven yeah. Soderbergh, like maybe kind of showed that you don't have to explain every little thing and you can still make a, a fairly, you know, lucrative career. Right. So I think if it was made today, you might not find that voiceover because it added nothing. No. No, and let me put it this way. The, I, two thoughts on this. The first is is that, to be fair, voiceovers are a little more common in noir than in other genres. Oh, yeah. I think that might be one of the reasons why they did it, but you could have yeah. just, like, they could have cut but, like, it way down. Yeah, let me put it this way. Even the Blade Runner voiceover, which is a very controversial subject among sci-fi nerds, yeah. the Blade Runner voiceover is much better than this, like, yeah. is the way I would put it. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, Vincent wants to be an astronaut, but as an invalid does not qualify. He is reduced to serving as a custodian for Gattaca, a firm that launches a dozen rockets into space per day. Vincent decides to use a borrowed ladder, meaning he buys the identity, or rents the identity, of Jerome Morrow, an embittered, alcoholic, made man, and Olympic swimmer who was paralyzed after a car accident that apparently no one knows about 
Because in this future, the internet was abolished or something? This requires a lot of sacrifice, including surgery to increase Vincent's height to Jerome's level. Jerome has to continually provide blood, urine, and hair samples to Vincent for biometric checks. With Jerome's biometrics, Vincent gets hired as an astronaut in Gattaca. Anna, there are parts of the world building that seem way off. The reliance on paper, the absence of an internet, as I said, how super <laughs> white it is. And yet, as the young people would say, there is a very consistent and unique vibe to it. Yes? Did it it's work for you? It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it is just visually, I can't believe how well it holds up. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was shot on film. Mm-hmm. It's very rich tones. It got an yeah. Academy Award nomination for art direction. Hmm. And so, and, and more than just how beautiful it is, it's it's funny. The visual parts of the future are thought out more than like the practical parts, right? Yeah. They thought about how everything would look, but didn't really go into like, well, how, what would you actually have in the yeah. future? So hence the paper, right? Right, that was the weird, or, or the, yes, or the, apparently the fact that information can be, like, suppressed, or, yeah, yeah it was Yeah, weird. and then also, Dan, a little bit of my hobby horse here, there yeah. are those kind of fake ergonomic keyboards. <laughs> Which look really uncomfortable! They look super uncomfortable! I'm watching these people, You know what I'm like, talking about? Like, they were in style yeah. for a while, they have, like, yeah. a curve to them. Yeah. And also extremely unergonomic workstations. Like, mm-hmm. those people are putting their heads down all day long like the no computer. all i kept thinking was show better posture like yeah. but like they had to like stoop over at those use you know in order to be able to see the terminal it made no sense whatsoever and of course as an alcoholic i noticed the times <laughs> that it came into the plot and the first time is when we're informed that it's you know you can choose to have your child not be an alcoholic which i do think probably most people would do it yeah, is interesting yeah. that you can become an alcoholic if you really try like drone <laughs> yes, I mean to be to be fair. I mean, it would be safe to say that Jerome is depressed, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, sure. You know, I'm yeah. I'm mostly making a joke, Dan. Okay, fair enough. Like, yeah. It is also interesting about whether or not you could, in theory, turn off you know alcoholism. There's a yeah. lot of different things involved in it, mm-hmm. including trauma, yeah. right? Right. And I was willing to wave away a lot of this. Mm-hmm. You know the the thing about you know no internet and whatnot. Now, something I had a lot of trouble with, though, is, yes, you know, they're, when they show people's IDs on the little screen? Right. It's like one of those green on black matrix screens with <laughs> only green. Yeah. It's not a very good. It's not it, very good. It's, it's not. It's, not it's, it's, it would be. It, I think. I think the term we would use is it's low res. It is low res. Low, and that wouldn't be so bad, except it's kind of part of the plot. Mm-hmm. That it's so bad because that's one of the ways that he's able right, to take it, over Jude Law's identity. That, that is how you were able to believe that Ethan Hawke looks like Jude Law. I mean, they're both extremely pretty people, but and like, they have yeah. high cheekbones and yeah. you know, kind of pretty lips and everything. But like, it's part of the plot that the IDs are so bad. Everything yeah. else is gorgeous, and yet this is how they. Mm-hmm. It, I was willing to let it go. It's so it's such an important part of the film that that. <laughs> that the IDs be bad, I couldn't really <laughs> wrestle with it and still enjoy the film, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. On the, the whiteness, there are some very prominent black characters. It, not, right. 
they're not full that you know they're not full roles but they're not they, on screen a lot but like they so that there's Blair Underwood yeah who plays and there's like, the like in, in, and, in a couple of times when they do close-ups of people coming in to Gattaca right. mm-hmm. you'll see some black people and at that point in Hollywood I do think that's a choice you mm. know and I think it's trying to say see we don't discriminate on and in fact it says it at some point that racial discrimination is over right now, I, I want to talk about this more but like yeah it's weird. I mean, this might be more of a, of a fact that, again, the movie was made in the 1990s. Because, again, it wasn't something that I was necessarily consciously looking for, but I was always watching it. This was like, Jesus, there's a lot of white people in this film. Like, you know, it was just, yeah. That well, that's was, why the few black people stood out, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. also when they there is somewhere the line of dialogue about the only way we discriminate now is genetics, which, right. I mean... <laughs> Discriminating by race is also discriminating by genetics, but, you know, their claim is that that's no longer the issue, right? Mm-hmm. right? Color yeah. is no longer the issue. It's just all all interior. I have questions about this. We can get yeah. to them later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, I will just sort of back up your point that Ethan <laughs> Hawke is the ugly one. Like, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's ballsy. Yes. That's they like, gave him spiky yeah. hair and glasses, and, and, glasses. and it was like, oh, what an uggo, my God, he's such teeth. an invalid. Yes. Like, but you don't even really see the teeth. No, so, like, you do not. It, it's not even really that thing. It, it is a question of, like, it's the librarian taking off their glasses kind of. Yes, joke. that you know? was pretty much, it was, that was, it was the male equivalent of that. I think that's absolutely correct. Yeah. That's, that's entirely fair. All right, let's move on to act two. If the eyelash does not fit, you must acquit. That's nice, Dan. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Our plot kicks off a week before Vincent is scheduled to launch on a mission to Titan as the navigator. But there's a problem. The mission director has been murdered, and it sure seems like Vincent had a powerful motive. The cops find one of Vincent's eyelashes near the crime scene. One cop thinks this makes him the primary suspect, but the detective in charge seems skeptical. Regardless, the police are on the lookout for a dweeb with glasses, and everyone at Gattaca sees Vincent as Jerome, the super studly astronaut, who does not wear glasses, so it's kind of a Clark Kent Superman thing. Gattaca's director assigns Irene, uh, played by Uma Thurman, the task of assisting with the police investigation. While Irene works at Gattaca, a heart condition will prevent her from going on the deep space missions. Vincent freaks out about the investigation, but Jerome calms his nerves. We also learn that Jerome's car accident was not really an accident, as he meant to get run over because despite the best genetics money could buy, he had failed to win a gold medal at swimming. Vincent befriends Irene, and they go on the world's most sexless dates ever. (laughs) Meanwhile, the cops keep rounding up the usual invalid suspects and engage in roadside DNA checks. Vincent manages to evade all of these, but it's a cat and mouse game. Anna, I feel like Nicole wasted an opportunity with how the cops treated the invalids. And this was the thing that struck me this time when I was watching it, because it, maybe it's because it's 2022 20, or something. But it was quite disturbing to see even the very brief glimpses of how the invalids are treated in this film. Yes, I agree. It's a missed opportunity, and it gets to our later discussion about why this is not an anti-capitalist film. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he yeah. is uninterested in them really mm-hmm. like <laughs> right and that's the weird thing it's, i mean i think he meant to do this but like it's like he could barely care less about it but like it, it was actually one of the more affecting moments in the film i mean i don't think he totally i mean i think if we told him you don't care about the invalids no, he would be surprised not. by that yeah, he thinks yeah. he cares he i think this guy probably thinks this movie is about something slightly different than what, what it, comes it actually off, is yeah what yeah. it actually comes off as mm-hmm 
I did have questions about the whole genetic hierarchy. Like, yeah. so the very best of the best go to Gattaca. So if you're a cop, like, what's your genetics then? Like, is that like, are you, you well, know? Okay, so if the best of the best is like couture, right? Yeah. Are you just like high end off the rack if you're a cop? This was actually one of the better scenes. There's a scene between Gore Vidal as the director yeah. of Gattaca and Lauren Dean as the, the cop in charge, where it's very clear that the Gattaca director is looking down on the cop. He doesn't yeah. think the cop yeah. is his equal. And it, it was an interesting moment because it's just that even in this world of genetic hierarchy, there is still an even, like, more rarefied hierarchy. Right. And I then sort of, if you're going to do genetic engineering, mm-hmm. right, how much harder is it to create a Jude Law than <laughs> a non-Jude Law? Like, if you're going to go in there and turn shit on and off, right? Mm. How come you don't have a million Jude laws? Which, I mean, what a problem to have. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. If you're going to do, and I mean, I imagine it's, this is where capitalism comes in in a way that probably Nicole doesn't really see. But like, I guess they're just, they charge more because they can for your Jude law. Well, I don't know. I it's mean, not I, like it requires more labor. It's just. I will, I will say this. Within the, the structure of the film, I mean, there is that speech by Blair Underwood, I think, where yeah, he explains still, that. Yeah, it's still your kid. There's still, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in other words, I think the answer is, is that there's limits to what even genetic engineering could okay. potentially do. So, right. which I actually, I kind of like that thought in the sense of like, no, you couldn't actually create a universe of entirely composed of Jude laws. And you know what? <laughs> I think that's a good thing because Just put I think me on that island. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm saying is, is that at look this way from my heterosexual perspective, I don't know if I want a universe yes. populated with Uma Thurmans. There should only be one Uma Thurman. That's true. No, I, I'm I'm obviously pretty much kidding. Yeah, and I I still kind of think it's probably the market, you know, because even mm-hmm. if you're just working with the material you're given, as far as the parents go, mm-hmm. like. I am just making a lot of assumptions about how easy gene splicing is for these people. Because it seems like it has to be pretty fucking easy at this point, right? (laughs) And then, Dan, I wanted to ask you a question. Yes? When did you notice the cops didn't have names? This might very well have been the first time I saw this film, like, uninterrupted. Yeah. And and the problem that the film has, and, like, I I remember watching it and was like, why are they using, like, not Ethan Hawke and Lauren Dean as the teen kids and i realized the problem is is that the film is saddled with a plot twist that you're not supposed to know about right and you can't use names in that circumstance Mm -hmm. is the issue so i mean i think i noticed it pretty quickly but i I didn't think about it as a there's a way in which it works with the film in the sense of the cops aren't important enough to have names at the same time that's true but at the same time the reason they can't do that is because if they give the cops the names then you know the plot twist one of the only ways that it really stood out to me by the way Mm -hmm. is that i always watch with closed captioning now. Oh, okay, yeah. And yeah. the closed captioning didn't have ideas. Oh, you're right. Yeah, which that's true. made it the closed captioning is a little strange that way. Yeah, like it. <laughs> if you really were relying on it, it would be hard to follow. Yeah. So. Well, to be fair, the, I believe the closed captioning also starts like it opens. Uh, this was this is a, you would only know in the clo- if you were watching the closed captioning. But apparently, this entire film takes place in Esperanto. No, not it. Well, in the language of Esperanto. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, she also makes this is the announcer for Gattaca. It's yeah. actually she's bilingual. Oh, there announcements we go. in Esperanto and in English. Again, okay. I know this from the closed captioning. I used to be obsessed with Esperanto. By the way, <laughs> it's such a fascinating thing that humans have done. Yeah. You know, to try and invent a language. There are people who still keep it alive. Yeah. I pitched a story actually in the 90s. Man, I wish someone had designed this to me where 
I wanted to travel around the world mm-hmm. to stay with people that speak Esperanto. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is like this thing that's like the International Esperanto Association. Oh, okay. And part of the thing is like they kind of say like, come visit, you know, like we can speak Esperanto together. <laughs> but you would have had to learn Esperanto for this. Can you speak yeah, Esperanto? Yeah, so uh, I, it, it would have been a fun, it would have been a fun assignment. All right. Well, let's move on to act three. The plot thickens ever so slightly. So the cops ramp up their search, including a stop and frisk at the restaurant where Vincent and Irene are dining in the most passionless date ever. I cannot stress this enough. Vincent grabs Irene and flees out the back (laughs) with the lead. (laughs) I just want to point in. And in this particular scene, Irene has more chemistry with the pill that she takes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and she has with Ethan right. Hawk. Like you might think it's I'm a very har- sexy taking of a pill. <laughs> Listeners, you might think I'm harping on this, but like I cannot stress enough. Like just nothing. No heat there whatsoever. Vincent grabs Irene, however, and flees out the back with the lead cop calling out Vincent's name. For no reason whatsoever, this turns Irene on, and they spend the night together. The next day, the cops want to question fake Jerome, a.k.a. Vincent, but Irene warns him at the Gattaca entrance and he heads home. The cop takes Irene and they go to Vincent and Jerome's abode. Vincent warns Jerome, who has to drag himself up to the second story of their duplex and act like he's knocked up paraplegic. The cop does his DNA trace, but still has his suspicions. He's about to check out the downstairs when his subordinate radios to say they found the murderer, another mission director. Irene, who kind of sort of knew the truth, but now has it right in front of her, rushes out as well. Anna, I think this is supposed to have a film noir feel to it, and yet I see two problems. First, it is without question the most boring one-note murder mystery ever. Like... We don't even see the confession. And also, the confession makes no sense to me whatsoever. But second, and equally important, there is zero heat between Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman, which is super odd, given that, as you pointed out, they were romantically involved off screen. In fact, the only ones who seem to act like they're in a noir are Jude Law, who is, I agree with you, is amazing, and also Alan Arkin. It's like the two of them are on a slightly different film, and everyone else is in a much more passionless film. I think... You can give the film a little more grace if you think of it as a heist movie. Oh, uh, okay. Rather than a film noir. Although I think that I'm giving it grace that way. Yeah, that's I was going to exactly say, to be fair, I don't think that's but what it the is film a heist. Thing. But if you it think is, about yeah. it, it is a yeah. heist movie. Mm-hmm. I could talk about Jude Law more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as you were saying, he's very good. I don't think I realized how good he was the first time I saw it. He's just, and, and maybe also because it's now I have a more discerning eye to the, how the other characters are not as great yeah but like that scene of him dragging himself up the stairs oh it's it's really good yeah it's very good he sells it yeah a hundred and ten percent there is not a lot of tension in this film but that was the one scene where there is legitimate tension of like you're you know you're emotionally invested you want to make sure that he actually gets up to the the top of the stairs yeah and then i just was with him like his depression you know Mm -hmm. his feelings about vincent getting to have this life yeah. It's just he has he does it all like mm-hmm. and he's in a wheelchair and he doesn't have a lot of screen time. And yet he is just fully there and really one of the most compelling characters in the movie. Yeah, no, it's it. he's an arresting presence in this film. Yeah, like, I, I mean, like they persuade he deserves every casting role he got because of this film, like because he really is the most interesting thing in it. 
I have a couple questions, though. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Why did everyone rush out of the jazz club? The police <laughs> bust in to be like, we're doing genetic checks, and then everyone flees. Maybe there are more borrowed ladders in this society than we realize. That was the only thing I could think, is yeah. that like, or maybe this is like a borrowed ladder hangout, you know, like mm-hmm. a speakeasy. Who knows? There we go. Yeah. yeah. And then, Dan, I, I do have a question. Yes. Which is, what gene allows you to sprint in high heels? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever gene it is, Anna, I am quite sure Uma Thurman possesses it. Well, yeah. 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 And I just am wondering, is that something you could turn on? Because I would, I mean, I don't really wear heels anymore, but, and I didn't sprint in them very often, but it is super fucking impressive. Yes. Let me put it this way. In retrospect, you could see why she would have been cast in Kill Bill based on her ability to do that in this yes. film. So I that's fair. I, I want to say a little bit more about Alan Arkin just to give him more credit. Yeah. He, he is a really important part of the film too, because- yeah. Without him selling that character, there'd be also zero tension. Yes. The only two people, I think that's what you're saying Yeah. when they're the two that act like they're in a noir, mm-hmm. even though the stakes are supposedly the stakes for Vincent, mm-hmm. the two that really sell yeah, the Yeah, that's what, that is what I'm trying to say. Are those two characters? Are Jerome and and the Alan Arkin character Who, whose right. stakes are very different? Like Jerome, yeah. Jerome is invested in kind of getting to see a life that he didn't ha- get to live. Yeah, right? which I actually thought was it was that was an interesting theme. The idea that Jerome knew that it wasn't him doing this, but it was his name that would do this, and therefore, in some weird way, he gets to live on. And I think that was an interesting argument and an interesting motivation for why he does what he does and it's a little strange but you believe it like yes exactly yeah <laughs> there is the great line you know you you use my body but i got to borrow your dreams yeah that might have been the only like line where it's like yeah this is a noir okay that's a good noir line and then for arkin you know his investment is in solving the case yeah. right like yeah. they're not the main stakes of the movie but those right. two characters have something they care about a lot I and think- you feel it and I think that's the the thing. Like, it's not that... Gore Vidal, by the way, is amazing in, on just his own level. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's just a like, separate little thing. It's just separate. It's totally... It's, he's, it doesn't matter if he's in the movie or not in the movie. He's, he's just playing Gore Vidal. Yes, but it works. It's Gore Vidal. Yeah, like, you know, I didn't stop looking charisma. at him. he got some charisma. You know, you pay attention when he's on screen. So this is the way I would put it. And I, maybe this is a critique of Ethan Hawke. I don't know. But, like, the central element of the film is the idea that... Vincent wants to go into space. He's being denied that possibility, and he so wants to do it. He's willing to make sacrifices and so on and so forth. Right. The problem is, is that I believe Alan Arkin's desire to solve the crime and Jude Law's desire to have his name live on are far stronger impulses yeah. than anything Ethan Hawke's character feels in this film. And, and also, Irene doesn't really have stakes. Like, no. <laughs> I mean, she sort of she gets involved with him, but it's actually very diffident. And yeah. yeah. One problem in the movie is we're never told, like, why she's picked to do the investigation or what her right. I got her the impre- desires are besides solve it, which yeah. fine. And Uma Thurman does. It's, it's not that she does a bad job. There no. is not any bad acting. You know? No, the difference is, is that, I mean, in some ways, all the characters are slightly underwritten, I think. Yeah. The difference is, is that, again, Alan Arkin and Jude Law take underwritten characters and make them fully realized whereas Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke they're there but it's not quite the same thing or it's just it's a different movie like I already have (laughs) for someone that loves Mm sci-fi this will surprise people but 
I've never really seen the appeal of just the idea of going into space. Just the <laughs> idea of going into space. Like right. going into space to do shit. Yeah. I get. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if it's I want to go into space and fly. Like right. I, I want to fly a you know, a shuttle or something. Mm-hmm. But just I wanna be in space. I don't fully get. And mm. I don't think Ethan Hawk sells it. Yeah. At all. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they could have given him a little more, you know. Yeah, like I don't know. Yeah. Let's move on. There's only one more act left. All right, let's get to the final act. Everyone goes on a journey. So Vincent is innocent of murder and can go into space, right? Not so fast. It turns out that the cop in charge is none other than Dun-dun. Anton. It- <laughs> Who saw this coming? It's Anton, Vincent's younger brother. He warns Vincent to turn himself in for identity fraud, but Vincent goads him into one last ocean swim game of chicken, and Vincent wins yet again. Anton asks him how he's doing what he's doing, and Vincent explains that he never held anything back. Vincent and Irene also reconcile. The day he launches, Jerome provides Vincent with enough blood and urine to take care of him for life. Even saying that sentence sounds weird. Yeah. Weirdly, Vincent brings none of this in on his launch day. (laughs) Instead, there's one last surprise urine test. Dr. Lamar confirms that Vincent is an invalid, but deletes the ID test while noting that his son has his own genetic issues. Solidarity for invalids. As Vincent launches for Titan, Jerome goes on his own journey as he commits suicide in the incinerator that Vincent used to destroy all of his DNA evidence. (laughs) Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Hard to watch. Hard to watch. Okay. Anna, I'm going to question the central premise of the film a little bit because I certainly do not condone the genetic apartheid regime that we kind of see in this film. I do have an awkward question, which is, isn't Vincent putting his crew at serious, enormous risk? Space travel is risky, and it seems like it would be dangerous if the navigator died of a heart attack during the trip, which seems like is quite likely to happen. What is the line between non-discrimination and proper risk assessment? Well, Dan, I can't answer that last question, <laughs> because I, I, that, that's like a real head-scratcher. Okay. However, I think that line exists. Mm-hmm. And you have anticipated a hot take essay that I read. Uh, <laughs> what oh, did someone already write about this? Right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I will link to it in the newsletter. Good. I think this movie could have been more interesting had it been a disability that is discriminated against, but is also invisible. That you could pass, as it were. That Yeah. Yeah. You know, they mention when Vincent is born, like what his uh, predispositions are. <laughs> yes. He'll go through a whole which, list. Which is another flaw, actually, in the film, yeah. because we never see any of the other ones. Well, that are so described. part of me is like, they, they say he's ADHD. ADD, ADHD yeah. And then there's another manic depressive, I think. Yes, I believe it was manic yeah. depression. So, as a manic depressive, <laughs> it would have been interesting to, to use a mental illness, mm-hmm. maybe, as his flaw. Because then you're really saying something about what traits we value Mm. and how those traits are subjective. Whereas I might die any minute is not a subjective judgment. No, like (laughs) there's an actual physiological condition that he clearly has apparently, you know, and there's, I mean, we know this because we see a scene earlier where he's like running on the treadmill and he has to stay on that treadmill for a little longer because his brother cop is right behind him. and He doesn't want to reveal himself, you know, as he gets off the treadmill, it's very clear. He's like hyperventilating and like he collapses in the locker room. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, 
again, so because th- a lot of discrimination is discrimination. It's based on uh, a hierarchy we of humans have made up. Right, a socially constructed one a that socially isn't, constructed isn't necessarily correlated with an actual need. And I would argue that to some degree, certain kinds of mental illnesses are in that category. That mm-hmm. we have just decided, you have this mental illness, that means you cannot do all these other things, that means you are not as good as other people. Right. Right. Having, yeah, <laughs> just keep me, yeah, having a bad heart is not something that, you should not be discriminated against. However, <laughs> I also agree. Yeah. However, I don't want to see the rest of that crew die because their navigator buys it during the trip. And you know what's also very, very strange about the way that disabilities are portrayed in this movie is they have this totally rad genetic engineering, but mm. apparently have made no progress on spinal surgery or heart defects. Right. Or ther- <laughs> or ther- basically... it. The assumption Nickel makes in the film is that you, the way you're dealing with disease or any of these other like potential ills is you just do it through genetic engineering. There's no therapeutics in this film. That's the way I would put it. So there's no drugs that can address. I mean, this is admittedly like the pre SSRI. This was filmed pre Prozac, pre like, Uh, or it was just coming uh, on. Prozac was just like listening to Prozac, I think came out in 98. Right, but this movie came out in '97, and like yeah, it was but, the, but it's that. listening to Prozac was oh the yeah, 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 yeah. Book okay. that got us all interested. Right. Anyway, I, I I have no doubt that it was written before those yeah. things. Oh, were yeah, well, he, well, he wasn't thinking about it. That's yeah, for exactly. Sure. Um, but like, there were things that could have been taken to, to deal with this. That's all I'm saying. Yes. So it seems like we both have some lasting questions about this movie. So yeah, I have another one for you. Okay, what is it on? Is there IR in it? Anna, it doesn't matter whether you use 12 fingers or one. It's how you demonstrate that there is international relations in this film. So there are two pieces of IR in this film. Uh, One piece is just bad. The other is somewhat more interesting. So the really bad part is this conviction in the film that apparently what happens internationally is of zero consequence whatsoever. So I know I'm hammering this theme, but but even in 1997, I think a car accident involving an Olympic medalist would have been public. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't think that like gets buried, you know. And so the, the script had to have been written pre like awareness of the. World I was Wide working World. at a online magazine, you know, in 1996, yeah. 1994. So like, there's no excuse basically. He just didn't acknowledge or interact with the fact it, it was just let's pretend internet. the internet doesn't exist yeah also like again not to nitpick but like you know so he clearly is british and yet <laughs> ethan hawk talks like an american that does also seem to me like kind of a red flag you know like apparently the genetic stuff is so powerful that no one bothers listening to accents so vincent says at one point that quote blood has no nationality end quote And while I wish that were true, I really did wish that were true, I would like to teach Andrew Nichol a few things about the regrettable role that race has played in world (laughs) politics. So it's just like an absurd statement that like, again, it took me out of the film, like, uh, you know, which was not good. I will say that we get to, I get to, you know, rave about Jude Law again, because the scene where he tells Vincent, don't you get it? Mm-hmm. Like genetics is such an overwhelmingly yeah. important thing to everyone. They're not even seeing you even right. anymore, which I think has an element of truth in it, in the way that yes. discrimination works. Yes. And I like will say any like, kind of discrimination works. Again, this demonstrates the weakness of the voiceover because that 
like Jude Law's mo- you know speech there and like that his dialogue there is much more effective than anything we hear in the voiceover. Yeah. Um, and like again, it, it demonstrates how it was superfluous. So the somewhat more interesting piece of international relations in this film is, in fact, the game of chicken that Vincent and Anton keep playing. This game is, <laughs> is actually talked about a lot in international relations, which is that you know two countries or two leaders are you know playing a game of chicken. The way that you win ordinarily is that you've got to credibly commit to an action and demonstrate that you've credibly committed to the other side. So the classic movie example of this is Footloose, the tractor scene, yeah. where Kevin Bacon can't get out because his shoelace is uh, stuck to the, the gas pedal, and then the other guy leaves, and so as a result, Kevin Bacon wins. The interesting thing about the game that they actually play in Gattaca, though, is that credible commitment is impossible to demonstrate. And so, you know, the only way that Vincent can win is just to keep going and keep bluffing and keep making it seem like he doesn't care. I fully thought that what was going to happen, I, I, I remembered it enough that this probably wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. But part of me thought, well, Anton's going to die. Yeah. Like, like that's the way we're going to get our plot, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's a, it is a stupid, dangerous game. I mean, yes. I, I can see teenage boys playing it, mm-hmm. but it's, it is so. I mean, I guess you have to be a teenage boy to think that it would be any kind of good idea. Yes, as a former teenage boy, I can confirm that is the only time you would ever think that's a smart idea (laughs) the other thing is by the way this is again like a it's a nitpicky but the film cheats a little bit because it simultaneously makes vincent like you know again gasp and wheeze if he's on the treadmill for just like five minutes longer than ordinary yeah and yet apparently he can swim five miles and like that's it you know it's a great piece of dialogue of like he never held anything back i i liked it as in the film but like all i kept thinking was Wait a minute. I just saw you gasping, like, running a little bit. This you can do, though? Like, it's just weird. And wouldn't you, I mean, again, just going back to only a teenage boy would think it's a good idea. (laughs) But you're so risking, both of you are risking death, right? I mean, if you keep pushing each other to swim further and further, there is going to be a point where you can't make it back. Where neither of you would potentially make it back. Yeah, where neither of you make it back. So, anyway, actually... Certain parts of the plot were fuzzy, so I did have that moment when they do their teenage swim, and he says it was our last time. Part of me was thinking, oh, Anton's going to (laughs) die. And then when they leave Gattaca in their suits (laughs) to go to the beach to have another game of chicken, there's this moment where they both could look kind of uncomfortable Mm -hmm. standing there on the beach. And there's a part of me that really wanted one of them to turn to the other and be like, this is bullshit. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> this is stupid. What, now, were we th- what were we thinking as teenagers? What I will say, <laughs> what I will say about that sequence, because it was believable as an older brother, was okay. how Vincent goaded Anton into that last race. Okay. Like where Anton says, you you think I, you, you know, like at one point, like it was clear. It was like he triggered Anton. It's like, oh, you don't think I can do this? I can totally do this. And it was like, yeah, that's younger brother behavior. I've seen that before. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. But this leads to a diff- slightly different question. Anna? Yes, Dan? Is there a critique of capitalism in this film? Dan, I've been looking for any flaw. <laughs> And after a while, that's all I see. <laughs> this movie does not actually have a great critique of capitalism. Yes. This is a movie that valorizes bootstrapping in an almost literal way when I, I think about the way they lengthened Ethan Hawke's shins, which Ooh, is also well super cringy. Yes. Uh, work hard enough and you can succeed. Or willpower. Right? Like the whole or game of chicken power. is a willpower. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I bet 
Nichols would say it's a critique of capitalism, Mm -hmm. but it's really just a critique of like, I guess, elitism maybe, or aristocracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lookism occurred to me. There is no. It's the weakest critique of lookism ever. Because I'm sorry, like, yes, how how dare everyone valorize these amazingly yeah. attractive people? Yes, I, there is a certain degree of irony. Just the whole idea of Hollywood making a movie criticizing <laughs> criticizing the criticizing mm. the the valorization of beautiful people, but yeah. you have to have beautiful people in it. You have right. to have beautiful people in it. Yeah, there is absolutely no grappling with what does it mean to be genetically superior. Right. Right. Because one of the critiques that I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with eugenicism, but or eugenics. But one of them is our ideas for what makes one person genetically superior to another are culturally constructed mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Again, mental illness is sort of an interesting example. Certainly when it comes to race, mm-hmm. it is um, handedness, perhaps. And so there's n- nothing about that it, it, because uh, he succeeds and there's no kind of. It doesn't. It doesn't expose the system yeah. in any way. It's just he does this through sheer willpower and determination. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would have been so much. More, I just keep coming back to it. Would have been so much more powerful had they done something that would draw into question what does it mean to be superior. Yeah, but this isn't that kind of film. I guess is no. The, it's just it's a film just starring not, beautiful people. Yeah, <laughs> this is a this is a film in which we see beautiful people struggle one of them with not being quite as beautiful although really he is as beautiful so yeah i mean it's funny because as listeners may recall i did not enjoy arrival (laughs) (laughs) and this movie kind of reminds me of arrival oh really wait 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 okay in that it's beautiful Mm -hmm. has a great soundtrack yeah has beautiful people in it yeah and yet for some reason, and also has a huge flaw, like a few huge flaws, like right straight in the middle of them, you know. And with me for Arrival, I just wasn't able to let it go. And I'm going to have to rewatch Arrival. Cause yeah, I'm, I think you're being cruel to Arrival, frankly. But like, Oh, you thought that at the time. Yes, I, exactly. Yeah. Because I did let myself enjoy this, mm-hmm. even though... I think this is a pretty big flaw. I think this oh, yeah. idea that it doesn't really grapple with what does it mean to be genetically superior, that's for a movie that purports to be about that. Right. This is the central <laughs> animating idea of the film. And the problem is, is that Nickel doesn't have really fully fleshed out thoughts about it. He's got a vague critique, which is fine. Like, I, you know, I, I, I think he thinks he's on the right side. And I understand that. But like. He tells it through an individual story. It's not a, you know, and that's a problem. And there's just no, and again, he's not interested in the invalids in general. Yeah. Like, this is a movie that's about someone who gets to be right. a, a, a valid. Someone who passes for, the, the most, I mean, let me put this way, the most interesting, you know, character and the most interesting characterization has nothing to do with an invalid becoming a valid. It has to do with a valid who suddenly can't do what he was supposed to do. And how does yeah. he deal with that? And that was legit interesting. But that has as much to do with Jude Law as it does with Andrew Nichol. Ping, ping, Anna, ping, do you ping. hear that? Oh my gosh! Oh I no! Think it's, oh my god! It's just tiny hair, uh, eyelashes. I don't know how they're it, it could be eyelashes. Maybe like you know, like yeah, like nail clippings, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But or it's the this, debris field. It is the debris field. That's all debris. Yeah. Where we talk about the things we didn't get a chance to talk about. We've talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. But Dan, do you have anything left? 
I have a few things left. First of all, I, I'm glad you told me about the... I didn't realize how cheap this film was, and I don't mean that I like inexpensive. Yeah. Um, because that explains there are times where this film feels incredibly underpopulated, which I think actually is not a critique. It's just it's how it actually holds up, because like you see the, the buildings and so on and so forth, but there are very few crowd scenes in the film, which is interesting. I really like there, this was like a very brief sequence in the film, but I would be dying to know what the dating apps would be <laughs> in this Gattaca world. Because like there's one moment where like someone like a, it was a woman who like had a kiss with a guy and like then takes the DNA sample from her lips and wants to have it analyzed. And that I found fascinating. Like, you know, Bumble in this world is going to be totally DNA based. <laughs> that would be interesting. Also, you're right on a. Another similarity with Arrival, as you say, the scores are both, you know, elegiac and, and sad. That belongs in the Sad Sci-Fi Hall of Fame. Just to confirm, <laughs> again, the reason that the doctor at the very end can tell that Vincent is, is passing as a valid rather than actually being one is that he uses the wrong hand to hold his penis when he goes to the bathroom. Just to confirm, the doc was right about handedness. In terms of, you know, what hand you use when you're holding your penis and you go to the bathroom, that that was absolutely correct. I know Anna was, like, burning with curiosity about that. Just a few minor things. Maya Rudolph is in this film for a hot second, as well as Gabrielle Reese. So just was not sort of surprised by that. And then two last things. First, I wish that everyone in their lives, for just a single moment, looks as spectacular as Uma Thurman looked after waking up in her car. It's the very end of the film. She's like apparently spent the night just sleeping in the car waiting for Vincent. She looks up. She looks spectacular. No one in the history of mankind has looked like that after sleeping in their car. That's all I'm going to say. And you know what? I think I'll close on that note. What do you got? I have a couple things we've talked about a lot. You mentioned 12 Fingers. (laughs) (laughs) That's a weird fucking scene yeah and they don't talk about it but they go to a concert with the pianist plays a beautiful beautiful piece mm-hmm. and then when he gets up to take his bows it turns out oh he has 12 fingers yeah and the piece was- tells us the piece was written to right. play with 12 fingers so this is a side of you know genetic alteration that the movie does not play with at all it makes this sort of Pass and it would have been much idea. more again that would have been more interesting because that's a little weird like that would have been an intriguing element of this that is kind of commentary on what do we think is a defect and yeah. what do we think is, is an asset right? right exactly you could have gone further there yeah uma thurman is beautiful yeah. her house is <laughs> spectacular <laughs> the, the <laughs> i confess in their lovemaking scene which is already not super hot no. i was like more much more interested in the beach <laughs> like that looks really cool <laughs> it's true i thought the same thing yeah yeah i love that apparently uh the astronauts wear suits like pilots yeah in space it's just like they just are sitting there in their suit and tie going into space <laughs> I, I have to add that my favorite part about that was that they're wearing suits whereas the ground crew are the ones like wearing like what's supposed to be like you know tech stuff that was it was, yeah. it was it was weird yeah it was funny dan did you notice jerome's middle name uh it was eugene yes eugene oh god eugene. oh god oh that's so bad and Dan, oh. do you remember what Victor's last name? I did know this. Yes, it's it. But you, I'll, I'll let you say it. It's Freeman. Oh, deep. <laughs> so deep. <laughs> and 
then we mentioned what they get right and wrong. I just wanted to point out the other things they get right are the Apple Watch and Tesla. They're the, they do have electric cars, yes. In this they have electric that, cars that, that they, you plug in much like you do a Tesla. And yeah. then they have watches that are very Apple Watch-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So kudos to you, Andrew Nichol, for getting the Apple Watch right. Should have, should have put a patent on that. There you that. go. <laughs> would be good. I think that's about it, Dan. I, I'm really glad we did this. Yes. The movie sort of was so different in a rewatch, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I saw in the Discord people were excited for this, and a lot of people think of this as a very good movie. Rewatch it. It's, yeah. It's good. It's, it's, it's not... It's good. It, it's not as good as perhaps you remember, I guess would be the way to put it. <laughs> but, but I will say there are things that are better on the rewatch. Like, I, I, I agree with you. Jude Law is amazing in this film, and I think I had forgotten that, or, yeah. I, or I hadn't noticed it. But I, yeah. I meant to say, I actually teared up hmm. when he is clearly getting ready to die. Yeah. It, it, and he has a few exchanges with Vincent where mm-hmm. he just, there's so much emotion coming out of off the screen. Like I was very touched. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. So. Yeah, Jude Law. We should find another Jude Law space movie. This belongs in the Jude. Yeah, I would say maybe that that we could do a Jude Law sci-fi month at yeah. some point. Juderary. Yeah. Ooh. Juderary. Or just Jude. Jude. Yes. Just Jude. <laughs> May, Jude, July. For instance. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's about it. Uh, become a patron. Get on the Discord. I am threatening to start a Dan channel on the Discord, <laughs> where we will do nothing but discuss Dan. <laughs> Since he's not very much, I was. I've been increasing my presence on the Discord. I will have right. you know. You know. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm just saying. And our Discord is, of course, a benefit of patronage. But also, you know what? If you are already a patron, or for whatever reason can't, you know, quite float the money for being a patron, please just rate and review. Tell your friends and neighbors. We would love to have more people involved in this particular conversation. Mm-hmm. Until next time. Keep this channel open for more. <laughs>